Welcome to High Lawn Baptist Church in St. Albans, West Virginia, where our mission is to know Christ and to make Christ known. We pray that you are blessed by the sharing of God's truth for us this day. For more information, visit us online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. If you would, take up your copy of God's Word with me and turn to the book of Luke. The book of Luke chapter 8. And we're continuing in our look at the images of Christ's ministry. This is one of the harder parables that we're about to dive into. And I'm going to, to take a slightly different tack from what I normally do. I'll be providing an exposition of God's Word. And then as we consider it, I'll be breaking it down to highlight for you what God's, what the rest of the Bible says about what Jesus is talking about here in Luke's parable. Where it's the parable of the sower. We're considering the different degrees that the Word of God is accepted, that it bears fruit. For the fruit of a Christian is more Christians. The point of the seed, once it is received into the, the soil, once it sprouts up, is not to linger and to perish. The point is to be fruitful. Now this is a parable that's also echoed in the Gospel according to Matthew. And we'll be referencing it a little bit because there are some surprising details that I want to share with you about why Jesus is preaching in parables in the first place. But something I want you to consider, I have a bunch of my old seminary buddies actually that, that pick on me when they listen to my sermons. They mention that I use a whole lot of Bible when I preach which I didn't know was an issue. In fact, I thought the exact opposite, not relying on the Bible, is the issue. But we live in a culture that this parable is very relevant about, where the rubber meets the road here, because the Word of God is not seen by the greater community, even in some churches, as having relevant authority much to the dismay of the people that are come to those congregations. A starving person. The, the, the Bible itself refers to the Word of God as spiritual food. I want to imagine, I want you to imagine, what would happen to somebody if they only came to one meal every week. Take that imagery. What would you be like if you came to one meal every week, how strong would you be? How much would you grow? Especially junior Christians, small Christians, Christians who are just coming up in the faith. The parable discusses that. If you receive the Word of God only once a week and you don't delve in it on your, on your own, as we talked about last Sunday, then you're not going to be mature. Either you're going to be a fair-weather Christian, one who ends up dying because the roots don't go very deep, or you're going to be one of those types that when troublesome times appear, instead of relying on the joy of God, instead of relying on the peace of 
the peace of mind that passes all understanding, just as the parable speaks, you're going to be choked up and die. The Word of God is not simply a, um, an exercise in theology. How do we survive trouble sometimes? How do we survive living in a fallen world? How do we survive times when we look at the checkbook and there's more red in the ledger than there is black? How do we survive times of political upheaval? How do we survive times when we don't know where the next meal is coming from? Or where we have to sacrifice what little we have left just in order to get enough gas in the car to move from one place to another? How you handle that in your spirit, in your soul, is the way that your testimony is seen by others. Do you have the peace of mind that passes all understanding? Do you put that on display because you know that the promises of God hold weight? Or do you see the problems and let that dictate your life? People watch you. You are the only Bible that some people will ever read. And if you do not hold to that peace in your heart, the other people who have yet to come to know Christ in the free pardon of sin, they see how you react. They see how you live the gospel. Does it give you peace? Does it give you joy? Does it give you hope? Or does it not matter? The way that you portray the lived gospel in your conduct, in your conversation, in your character is precisely what Jesus is about to reveal to us. So, as I said earlier, I'm going to give you an exposition of the Scripture, and then I'm going to also highlight what the rest of the Bible says about this particular passage. So if you'll turn to me to the beginning of Luke's 8th chapter. Chapter 8, verse 1. Once you get there, please say Amen. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons were cast out. Now I want to, to pause here for a second, because this is a much maligned person in Scripture. Back in the first and second centuries, there was a heresy that was creeping up in the European churches that uh, denied the deity of Christ, that saw him only as purely human. And they tried to tout that Mary Magdalene was somehow married to Jesus. So as pendulum swings go, the enemy loves it when we experience pendulum swings, incidentally. Because instead of relying on the truth of Scripture as it is stated in the black and white, many maligned her by claiming that she was a harlot. Now, nowhere in the Word of God does it say that. That was a traditional teaching based on the reaction of many to that early heresy. But it says here that when Jesus met Mary Magdalene, Magdalene actually meaning of Magdal, the city, that he cast demons out of her. Not that she was a prostitute that was saved. Let's continue on. Just, just for your edification. I'll give you that one for free. Joanna, the wife of Sejura, manager of Herod's household, Susanna, and many others, these women were helping to support them out of their own means. So Mary Magdalene and the people mentioned here were, a, were women of wealth. 
They were women who supported the mission and ministry of Christ, our own American Baptist women. These are your lineal ancestors. The ladies of the faith who gathered together in a sense of, of common sisterhood, a sense of, of mutual support for the continuing ministry of the church and of Christ himself. That type of fellowship together is important. We see the same thing with American Baptist men. That's why I want you to make sure that you meet together, that you do not deny yourselves the gathering of, of yourselves together in that capacity, because in that type of fellowship, there is strength, both for yourselves and for the church that you love. Let's continue. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he was scattering the seed, and some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Others fell among the thorns, and they grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, and it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he had said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now what does that mean? This is a very agrarian society. So for those of you gifted with the Holy Spirit of God, let me unpack it for you a little bit. This is the imagery. The tendency back then, you had two staple grains. You had wheat, you had barley, both of which were cultivated by people going out into a field with large sacks of seed and scattering it, tossing it in the wind. It wasn't like uh, when you go plant corn and you take the end of a... Um, the end of a hoe handle without the blade attachment, stick it in the ground on well-tilled soil and you drop the seeds in and cover it over. You scattered the seeds into the wind and the wind carried it along different places on the field. And then they would come through with a plow and the plow would turn the soil over, burying the seed for it would wait for the seasonal rains to come and then it would germinate. So oftentimes when the seed hit the wind, the wind would carry it. Some fell on the pathway, in other words, the roadway, the, the path that the sower was taking, the rocky hard path that would never meet the plow's blade. So when it hit that path, the birds of the air that you find later in Scripture is the, the workers of the enemy came down and gobbled it up, not letting it penetrate the soil. It didn't have a chance. Some fell on, on semi-prepared soil. The soil was there and ready, but there was a rocky limestone outcropping. And so when it germinated, when the rains came and the plow wasn't able to get it subdued all the way, it germinated, it took root, and it started growing up. But the second that it hit the limestone, the roots could not go any further. So the plants could not get water. So what happened? It died. Some fell along brambles, thistles, thorns. Plants that created so much seed that the sun couldn't get to it. They couldn't see the light. Experienced the warmth of the sun. So when they sprouted up, the leaves couldn't get what they needed. So what happened to them? 
they died. And yet some fell on prepared soil. Soil that was deep. Soil that had been cleared. They took root and the roots ran deep. And the crop was plentiful. In other words, these seeds were fruitful. His disciples asked them, what does this, what this parable meant? And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables so that, and he's quoting the prophets here, through seeing they will not see, through hearing they will not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path were the ones who hear. And then the devil comes away and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no what? Root. There's no depth to them. They do not grow. They do not put anything down. They receive through emotion, not through spirit. They receive through Conviction, but not through the Word of God. They don't learn. They believe for a while, but in a time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. They can't see the forest for the trees. They see what is temporal, but they do not see what is eternal. They do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, who retain it, and who by persevering produce a crop. The growing season is your life on this earth. The growing season is is the amount of time that you have to produce the fruit of the Spirit of God, the fruit of a Christian. So there are some who hear the Word of God, and yet the enemy works on them so much that, they can, that the Word doesn't penetrate, it doesn't enter the heart. And the birds of the air come and snatch it up. Incidentally, I'll mention here the principle of expositional constancy. That's a $40 way of saying that when the Holy Spirit mentions something in the Bible, whatever that symbol is, whatever that idiom is, it has the, the same meaning. It, it tends to have the same meaning all the way through all of the Scripture. Why? Because it's written under the superintendence by the same God. So whenever you see birds that are not specifically either eagles or doves, chances are good that you're talking about the enemy here makes the parable of the mustard seed seem a whole lot different. But let's continue. Those that hear, but the enemy works on them. How many times have you seen where somebody has tried to convict somebody else with the Word of God, but they kick up, uh, they kick up excuses, or they kick up past church hurts, or they kick up what they purport to be science, or they kick up dogmatics that might as well be their own religion? The enemy is working on them, in other words, trying to make sure that the Word of God does not take root within them. Then you have some fair-weather, excuse me, some emotionally excitable Christians, Christians who come to Christ because of an emotional experience, something along the lines of, 
of, of an almost revivalish type of experience where they hear the music, they see the, the laser show, they, they get excited, and they come to the altar, and we've seen this many times in concerts and in old revivals where people come, and there are counselors waiting for them to receive an act of repentance, but when they leave that, when the, their hearts fall back and their pulse slows down and they st start rationalizing things, they find that they have no depth. We see many churches who overbalance their missions and go all the way towards the worship arts, decline themselves on the discipleship ministry, and the Christians that come forward have no root because they have not received the nourishment of the Word of God. So when trouble sometimes appear, when other people try to argue with them ways of atheism, ways of converted religion, ways of you're too conservative, why don't you just lighten up? They don't have anything to fight them with. They have no grounding in God's Word. So when the things and the, 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 uh, the trappings of our society, when the, the luxuries and when the wouldn't it be easier ifs come to them, they don't have anything to combat. They have no root to maintain their position. They're, the depth is not there. They're not worded, rooted in the word of God. So what happens to them? They perish unfruitful. Write that down. Those who come to Christ purely through emotionalism, without earnest discipleship, perish with an unfruitful life. That's what Jesus is saying. Where there is no depth to someone's spirituality, there is no harvest. You ask me why I spend so much time with you in the Word of God. This is why. There is nothing wrong with the worship arts. There is nothing wrong with getting excited over the good things of God. There is nothing wrong with shouting, praising, thanking God for what He has done. But you have to temper that by being willing to subject yourself to Him, not only as your Savior, but also as your Lord. His desire for you is to grow in grace and in wisdom, not to be stagnant, not to be a spiritual child your entire life, but to grow and to be fruitful. Then there are those who fall on troublesome times. These are the thorn bushes. These are the brambles. These are the shades that won't let us see the light. And because they have not grasped the promises of God, because they have not subjected themselves to the peace that passes all understanding, because they let go of that peace, because they let go of that joy, the second that something happens to them that is a troublesome time, a loved one passes away. Finances fall apart. Whatever the case may be, we've all been there. The difference between a strongly rooted Christian and someone who is a fair weather Christian are those that rely on God's strength and not their own. Write that down. The ones that endure are those who are reliant on God's strength and not their own.
Grow past the shadows. Grow beyond the thorns because it's not you. It's not about you. It's not about how strong you are. It's not about how much you can do to provide for your families, even though that willingness of heart is important. Who ultimately takes responsibility for your spiritual upbringing if you are obedient to Him? God Himself lays the responsibility of that covenant on His own shoulders the same way that He did for Abraham, He also does for you. One of the definitions of anxiety that I dearly love because it says so much is applying a stress to your shoulders that is not yours to begin with. Claiming a responsibility that is not your own. But those who were well-rooted in the Word of God. The third soil. And no, I didn't make a numerical mistake. The first soil are the unsaved. The second, third, and fourth, if you want to think about it that way, the seed did germinate, they did produce... So this is the third Christian soil. The third soil are those that were deeply rooted in the Word of God through discipleship, who were nurtured and sustained, sustained through fellowship and through worship, who when troublesome times appeared and the shadow overcooked them, they still grew past the shadow to the sun. And those were the Christians, the rooted ones, the ones that believed the ones that held true to God's promises, held to that peace of God that passes all understanding, the joy of the Lord that is our strength, those that were wholly reliant on Him, those are the ones that bore fruit. In this image in Luke's Gospel, those are the ones that produced a bountiful harvest of a hundredfold. I want you to notice that. take a look right now at what the, the Word of God says about salvation, about the interplay between the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the human heart. In John's Gospel, the voice of Jesus also teaches us, very truly I tell you, it is for you, for your good that I'm going away. He's getting ready to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the part that the Holy Spirit plays within us. Unless I go away, the advocate, the, the comfort or the bringer of strength will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove to the, the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people do not believe in me. About righteousness because I am going to the Father where you cannot see me any longer. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit of God convicts. One of the Baptist distinctives is this understanding of what we call a saved church membership. That before you can be considered a member of a Baptist church, you have to have had a profession of faith. You have to be accepting of Christ in your life. Why? Because as a member of the church, you are a co-owner in the church's responsibility, in the church's business, and so forth. And an unregenerate person should have nothing to do with the ministry of the local church. Only someone who is under the influence, the lordship, and the salvation of God through the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit should have that blessing and that responsibility. 
But for those of us that have received Christ in our lives, those of us that uh, went through that kind of a process, it can be a harrowing experience <clears throat> because it begins with conviction. It begins with the Holy Spirit of God knocking on the door of your heart to let you know that you do not have salvation presently, that you are a sinner who's attempting to stand before a holy God, and that you need the blood of Christ applied to your account so that you can come to Him and receive His mercy. The sacrifice that was given for you. The Holy Spirit is the one that tells you of your condition before a holy God and begins that process. The difference between shame and conviction, as I've preached before you several times, is that shame paralyzes. Conviction motivates. A godly conviction is what draws us before the throne of grace to tables like this in the first place, where we confess ourselves before Christ as sinner, and where through that type of repentance we receive the grace of God in His forgiveness, and we become Christians. This is how the Holy Spirit begins. But there's another element. We see from the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10, as he's trying to tell the Roman church about how converts come to be converts, he writes, how then can they call on one whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently then, underline this verse in your copy of God's Word or in the flyleaf of your Bible, mark its reference. Faith comes from hearing. Which message is he talking about? The gospel. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test, to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by grace, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed. Who's distributing the faith? God is. This is how the Spirit and the Word act in tandem. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing the Word of God. <clears throat> what that basically means is, that is through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through the teaching also of the Word of God, that someone comes to repentance. The seed and the sower. The only thing that Paul also writes here that I want you to take is that it's not good enough just to receive Him as Savior. Let me explain that. The gospel comes to you in two different ways. It comes through you, to you through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and through the truth of the Word of God dealing with the person's heart. 
That cannot happen, as Paul alluded to earlier in this passage, unless we do the work to bring the Word of God to bear. You are the messengers of grace. You are the agents of reconciliation between the sinner and the holy God. You are the messenger of the Word. Not just the fat guy behind the pulpit, but each and every one of you has this as a mission to be a fruitful Christian. To be discipled, to grow past the problems of living in a fallen world, to grow convicted by the fact that you do not have the responsibility to fulfill that mission. The responsibility is is God's, but you have to be obedient to see that it's carried out. You are the agent, the ambassador of reconciliation. So don't see anybody else as lesser than yourself because there before the grace of God go, I. If someone looked at you at your fallen and deplorable state, if someone looked at you as the person that you were before Christ and said that that conversation's not worth it, how would that feel? No matter who the other person is, if you know that someone else is out there and you get a conviction by the Holy Spirit of God that you're the person that... You need to be the agent that brings the word to them. Bring the word to them. That is your place. That is your position. And that is your blessing. How can they know if the word is not sent? So send the word. Be the messenger of the word. And know that it is Christ who will strengthen you through the power of the Holy Spirit for that. And once you have given the word, It is then the Holy Spirit's responsibility to convict. That's what we're saying. That's how it acts. But occasionally you will find someone who has that kind of a stone heart. You will see the person walking along the path. And what's amazing about this passage of Scripture that we've just talked about is is what Jesus says about why he talks in parables. In the Gospel according to Matthew, he explains it a little bit further. Matthew 13, 14, he, um, this is Matthew's account of, effect, of effectively the same story. But he's writing that in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understand. You will be ever seeing, but never perishing. Do you see the parallels? But he goes on here. For this people's heart have become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have ever closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears Understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. What Jesus is effectively saying is that God's justice is poetic. For those, as we've read, you've read the story of uh, of Pharaoh he had a hard heart to begin with. but So what did God do? He hardened his heart further. Those that have a, stick, have a hard heart against, in unbelief, God actually hardens their heart further to pronounce a judgment upon them. Those who have a stiff neck, God makes their neck stiffer until they break under the weight of their big heads. What happens? Doubt is in the battlefield of the mind. Doubt is what happens when a person sees something 
and it contradicts in reality what they know to be true in the supernatural. That's doubt. But unbelief is a matter of the will. Unbelief is a matter of a person digging their heels in and saying that I will not trust God. I will not accept the gospel. I will not take part in any of this. So for those who, who, and again, I'm not talking about doubt here. Doubt can be dealt with. But for those in willful disbelief, God will judge. Parables, for those of us in possession of the Holy Spirit, that's where those who, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. That's where that comes in. But for those who are in willful disbelief, who are blaspheming the very existence of God, God will turn the parable into a curse. He will turn the parable into a judgment. These are the hearts of stone. But again, for those of you who are called to be messengers of God's reconciliation, this is not your responsibility. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And it's His action coupled with your obedience. 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us, the measure of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Excuse me. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached of the gospel, in other words, to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles, but for those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom. The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were before you were called. He's, he's going the same trajectory here as he did in Romans. Think about yourselves. Think about your own testimony. Think about your own story before God. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Think about this for a second. To transition from the one point into the other. You ever think about the disciples? Twelve people who had been rejected by teachers. Fishermen, a good number of them, who are not necessarily known to be truthful. I once caught a fish. They have that reputation. Peter among them. Peter, open mouth, insert foot. Ready, fire, aim. That was Peter. In fact, once Jesus actually says to his own apostle, get thee behind me. Satan, that was his order to Peter, the, who, the person that we regard as the head of the apostles. John and his brother both had ego issues. 
and mother issues. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a bookie, an extortionist. Paul was a murderer. And yet these 12 people, these 12 fallen, fickle, feeble, finite, frustrating human beings were the very ones who God called to transform this world. Imagine what he can do with you. Twelve people who were rejected, sinful, and deplorable by all regular metric standards were people who God equipped personally, empowered gloriously, and sent out to work miraculously. And to their credit, right now, one-third of the human populace is Christian. What can he do with you? You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love endurance, persecution, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone, you might want to underline this too, because this includes all of us, without exception. We in the United States are not immune. If anything, we of the church have a bullseye that we carry with us. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know, that the, you know those from whom you have learned it. And how from infancy you were known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There are those who the enemy is working on try to make sure that the Word of God never penetrates. There are those that come convinced of God's blessings because of an overly emotional experience, but no one disciples them. No one comes alongside them. No one has fellowship with them. No one helps keep them accountable by keeping them in God's Word so that they understand the instructions of our Master Teacher who is Christ. And they perish fruitless. There are those who come from in our ranks who likewise do not set down deep roots in the Word of God. And when troublesome times appear, the anxiety chokes them to death. And they leave this life fruitless. But by a combination of reliance on the Word of God, obedience to the Holy Spirit of God, and nourishment in the Word of God, there are those who can see past the shadows, who lay down good roots, who are discipled in fellowship one for another, who praise God together, 
who reach up to the sun together and who yield a bountiful crop, a harvest. Which one are you? Which one are you? We have the ability as a church to make sure that our roots run deep. A fellowship that can see each and every one of us divide our sorrows and multiply our joys together as one family and God reaching to the sun. We have the capability within us to make sure that when those troublesome times appear, no one gets choked in the shadows, but all of us see the light. Which one are we? Rely on God. Stay in His Word. Avail yourself to every opportunity to be discipled so that when the challenges of this life come up, you can face it with joy. And for anyone that does not know that joy, who has never experienced that joy, for anyone who instead sees the shadows, sees the problems, hears the convicting knock upon the, of the Holy Spirit upon their heart, the knowledge that before a holy God they stand unworthy. I've got good news for you. Christ will make you worthy. It's not about what you bring to God. It's what God can bring to you. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us, for there are none righteous, no, not. All of us stand as stained sinners before a holy God. It is not you who have to change to meet God. It is God who will change you in the meeting. Come forward today. What a marvelous day to be the day of someone's salvation. As we enter the time of invitation, if there is any need on any heart, no matter what it is, the need to find a family of God, the need to come to Christ and receive the gift of grace, the need to have a special touch of the Master's hand to relieve a burden, the need of the Christian to rededicate and to be renewed. Whatever the need is, as the musicians come forward, and as the invitation is being sung, do not stand idly in the pew and sing along. Do not wait, but come down those aisles. Come to this table and receive the grace that you need in the hour that you need it. And Heavenly Father, I ask as we transition from the service of the word to the service of the invitation, that your convicting presence would be on all of us. That, that whatever need is burdening the hearts of those that you have called to be Highland Baptist Church. May your mercy abound in this place. May judgment cease. May grace multiply. Whatever the need is, Lord, as we dedicate ourselves to you, let all who would come to you do so now. Remove our burdens and fill us with your joy. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray and all God's people said, Amen.
Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from High Lawn Baptist Church. If you'd like to learn more about High Lawn Baptist Church or donate to our ongoing ministry, you can do so online at highlawnbaptistchurch.org. We believe that when you love God, you share His Word, and when you love others, you spread the gospel. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.